Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Hello and welcome back to Loved As You Are, an Ignatian podcast with your host, Gretchen Crowder. I'm so glad you're here. This week we got up to 220 plays and that number just continues to climb. I just want to let you all know how grateful I am for all of you who have tuned in so far. It's clear the idea of being loved as you are resonates with many, and I hope you find even more to connect with as you listen to my guest today. I connected with today's guest through last episode's guest, Colleen Santoni. In her job as an educational coach and consultant, she travels throughout the U.S. meeting with various teachers and administrators. And one she met with recently is today's guest, Zach Zexter. Zach and I met for the first time on this recording, but I knew I would enjoy today's conversation when Zach included a Schitt's Creek meme in one of his first emails to me. I mean, that's pretty risky, throwing in a meme of a show and hoping it'll land, but land it did. Zach Zexter is a chief administrator at LaSalle Catholic in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, where he lives with his wife and four children. Zach graduated with an undergraduate degree in theology from the University of St. Thomas in St. Paul, Minnesota. He taught 12 years of high school theology in the Twin Cities while earning a master's degree in curriculum and instruction from St. Mary's University of Minnesota and a master's degree in educational administration from the University of Notre Dame. He has been a Catholic school administrator for the past 10 years. I really think you'll enjoy our conversation, maybe even a couple of our side tangents, especially as we move up north from Texas and get a Midwestern perspective on what it means to be loved as you are, no matter what. So, here we go. There's a place where like all these outdoor places to eat and the birds would come and just like sit next to you and pop around your feet and this bird was just sitting right next to me. I'll not be so distracted while we talk. <laughs> so the bird wants to be on the podcast too. That's yeah, fine. Right here. Now he's just like 10 feet away. But he is it there. just a boring bird or is it like a blue bird or something uh, that? I think it's, well, they're like little flying dinosaurs, right? They're creepy. <laughs> but no, it's pretty cool. I don't know why all of a sudden there's a million birds in our backyard. We just had a thunderstorm. That's probably why, like half an hour ago. I know those clouds are phenomenal behind you. I They're what are on a weather. You'll take a picture and send it to our meteorologist, and they will I be. Facebook. Yeah, yeah. Super weird looking. Like, I hope it doesn't rain on you while we're talking out the here. The door is five feet to my right, so I'll run okay. if I have to. Awesome. Well, that would make for a very interesting podcast to have the the rain come yeah. I think you're fine it's clear 15 minutes to my west so thank you for for coming on I know that we just met like five seconds ago um and that Colleen my guest from last week introduced you right? to me and we have one thing in common where we both went to graduate school at Notre Dame but you did the administrative program right yep. and I did the, the teaching one yeah so how long ago did you do that 
I was in, well, it was called ALP back then, um, the okay. ACE Leadership Program. Now they've since named it after me and Remick, so it's the Remick Leadership Program. So I was in ALP7, which mm -hmm. they probably now call RLP7, so, and I graduated in 2010, which is okay. amazingly hard to believe, 12 years ago. So. Yeah, sometimes when I'm talking to someone else that did programs similar to mine, it feels like I just graduated, except then when I tell them that I did year nine in the Alliance for Catholic Education, and then they tell me they're in like year 27. I'm like, I can't talk to you anymore. I feel really old right now. Yeah. Yep. Get that. <laughs> you, go, you go back to like a football game to, and you go to the ACE reunion and you're thinking, I'm going to see all my friends. And then you go, I'm older than all of these people except for the professors. <laughs> well, and I remember being an undergraduate in college and thinking, those alumni look really old. Why are they back here? Why aren't they off living their professional lives? <laughs> so, um, and then we all become one of them at some point. Well, thank you for coming on. I know that you, when you listen to my podcast, you said you listened to all of the, the episodes in a row and, and that they resonated with you. I, I thought it was interesting. Your comment was, it's clear that we worship the same God. Right. So who is, who is God to you? How did you come to that understanding? Yeah, and that, as I was thinking about coming on the podcast, I should reference an episode or two, but they all blend together because um, I was just kind of excitedly listening to them all, oddly enough, mostly while I was grilling dinner. I listened to a lot of them in a short span, except for Colleen, who I think she was on, what, last week? Yeah. And, uh, or at least as we record this, which was also really great to listen to because she's so great to talk to. So, yeah, what I think the thing that you said that made me go, oh yeah, we, we, we worship the same God, I think was the idea about the God who suffers with us. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously being that we're, you know, from the Catholic tradition, you know, we worship the God of Abraham and we believe in the Trinity and that sort of thing. But I think it was first when you said something about God suffering alongside us, which for me was something of a revelation when, when I learned that. I think if I can oversimplify it, I think I grew up kind of with an idea of uh, God is like the God of Christmas, which is not bad, mm -hmm. right? And not just like uh, gifts and whatever, but just uh, I had a, for the most part, a very positive kind of upbringing. And um, my understanding of God was just joyful, good, generous, kind, patient, whatever. I think my first shift or maybe really significant shift, at least that I can remember of how I understood God was from, I was living in Rome at the time. My wife and I moved to Italy after she graduated undergrad and we got married and we had both studied there. Uh, in Rome for a semester, not at the same time. And we got married and before we had kids, thought this is a good time for us to do this. So she studied. I took some classes here and there, did some volunteer work, what have you. My sister had a baby, uh, asked my wife, Laura, and me to be the godparents. And so we were able to have this beautiful baptism at one of the side chapels at St. Peter's Basilica. Hmm. And a priest friend of ours gave this great homily where he was talking about kind of the, the God that we believe in and what that God is like. And he likened God, because it was a baptismal mass, right? Um, he likened God to an infant because we naturally feel compelled to love that God and that God loves us. That's also extremely demanding. And that for me was kind of like one of my biggest first, I think, ahas of, yeah, that, that's it. Like, I really love this God. And this God has also asked a lot of me sometimes. But yeah, when, when you said something about God suffering with us, that really, really resonated. Another just short story. We, so my wife and I have four kids, the eldest of whom, he's 17 now, uh, hopefully on his, uh, on his bus back from St. Louis back to Cedar Rapids, Iowa, where, where I am now, because he's been on a choir concert all weekend. That's a um, long bus ride. St. Louis to Iowa? Yeah. Okay. Six, oh, just six no. hours. I'm sorry. I think in terms of Texas, and so any bus ride seems like it's going to be 20, 40 hours. You're right. You're right. You're not. Yeah. 
going to Texas. We're in this nice little sweet spot. My wife actually, half an hour ago, just got back from Chicago, which is not mm-hmm. even six hours east. And then the Twin Cities is like five hours north. So we're kind of in this nice little sweet spot. I miss that about the Midwest. And as a Hawkeye fan, I don't mention that city, Nebraska, that's, I don't know, five hours south <laughs> Somewhere in Kind of a Hawkeye fan. But, um, so yeah, Freddie, um, Freddie had gotten really sick and our girls had a lot of special needs when they were born. Um, we, we had almost lost them. So we spent a lot of time at the hospital mm-hmm. and I had grown quite tired of spending time there and getting to know all the staff there, et cetera. And our son got really sick out of the blue. He got myocarditis, which some people have heard of now because of COVID and people were mm-hmm. getting COVID a- or myocarditis after COVID, whatever. So he got that when he was three and, you know, he was my first kid and my best little buddy. And I was very, very close with my dad. And so I kind of took that opportunity to form a really close relationship in a hurry uh, with my, like a father would, with uh, Freddie, our, our eldest. When he was, you know, three, he got really sick. And I remember he had, he had been getting better. And then he didn't. And uh, he was up in kind of the, I forget what they call the unit up there. They've changed it since then at the hospital in Minneapolis where he was. But he he was doing okay. And then all of a sudden, all of his vitals started to crash. And mm-hmm. his heart rate was going crazy. And he had to go back down to the pediatric intensive care unit again. And I remember it was a prayer, <laughs> sort of. Um, I remember telling God, you take him from me. And I, I'm going to you know do something else with my life. I was a religion teacher at the time. I taught high school mm-hmm. religion just west of Minneapolis. And I remember that prayer. I was so mad at God. I was like, if you take him from me, I'll figure out something else to do with my life. I'm not going to spend my days telling people how great you are and what, you know, how they should have a relationship with you, you know, these high school kids, um, because you know, this is garbage to me and more probably in retrospect, but at, at the time still, I did feel like God was just sitting there kind of, I mean, God was never as acutely present to me, at least in, in my experience of it as at that time. Like God could have been in the room. It was very, very palpable. So it wasn't um, wasn't a Christmas God. <laughs> it wasn't just a joyful, patient, what kind of patient. But I felt like I was just sitting there listening, going, "Oh man, I'm feeling this with you." And still, I'm yelling at him, right? In my prayer, I'm really, really mad, saying, "You take him, and we're done. I'll pump gas, or you know, sell tickets to something, or whatever. I'm not going to be a religion teacher and tell people about you if this is you know what you're going to do with my son when you can do anything you want." And God just sat there and suffered with me. You know, I, I felt that. And then that kind of echoed throughout. So I had a friend who um, we were at a prayer service and she had been following our caring bridge posts and things about our kids. And lots of people have been helping us with things, um, helping us, you know, I don't bring us meals and stuff like that. And she just hugged me and cried and just, mm-hmm. I'm so sorry. And I thought, oh yeah, that's, that to me really resonated. That was more mm-hmm. helpful to me. You know, she didn't make me meals. She didn't clean a room, nothing. I mean, I had, I'm mean, seriously groups of high school kids coming in, like doing all of our yeah. yard work and that that moment of her just being there with me resonated so much of like my kind of new formed understanding of God is a God who suffers with you, yeah. which was really important for me. I was like 33 at the time and to get an understanding that God isn't just the God who takes bad stuff away from you, but mm-hmm. endures it with you. I honestly, now it's been 12 years since that I, I haven't wrestled with it enough. So when you said God suffering along yeah. with us, I thought, yeah, that that's very much my experience of God. Yeah. I think one of the things that you said as being a theology teacher and you've done campus ministry and stuff like that, things that yeah. I've done, you will get people that will ask, why does God make us suffer? Why, do, why does God do these bad things to people or like let these bad things happen? Even if God isn't doing it, why is God letting this bad thing happen? And you have yeah. the enormous responsibility of trying to figure out how to explain it. And until you live it where you realize that God didn't do it, but 
God is there and, and walking with you. And, and that is actually uh, the whole thing of Jesus's death is that this this profound witness to the suffering that we we experience that becomes the answer but it's still so hard to say oh people look to you for that answer right I try to explain it but you have to live that too and you'll have those moments where you're saying I'm done you know I'm done I don't I don't understand why you're doing this and and other moments where you feel God right there saying I wish I could be done too you know it's an opportunity to say I don't know I don't know why Mm -hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that happens, but I know that God suffered and God let his son suffer. You know, Jesus mm-hmm. got, how do you explain the Trinity <laughs> and how <laughs> Jesus was God suffering and God was also yeah. the father letting his son suffer. Like, I, I don't know how you, but God suffered. You know, that if mm-hmm. I, sometimes when I talk to high school groups or I, I would say things like, if I gave you 10 seconds right now, no, three seconds, draw me a picture that symbolizes our faith. You're all going to draw a cross. Well, that's, a, you know, that was an ancient torture symbol. That's how God was tortured and killed. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. our, you, you didn't draw a smiley face. You didn't draw a Christmas tree. You know, mm-hmm. that's more core to us. So we should mm-hmm. spend more time probably. It's just not, not always as much fun <laughs> to wrestle with that stuff. Yes. Um, Lent is not as much fun as Advent is, no. right? Preparing for, um, preparing for things. There, there is a great podcast called This Whole Life, and they, uh, at the start of each podcast, it's usually the husband and wife together on the show. Not always, but usually. There's always two people. And, it, you know, so maybe it's Pat and a guest or Kenna and a guest or Pat and Kenna. And they will always ask this week, what was your high and what was your hard? Mm-hmm. They don't say what was a good and what was a bad. They say, what was something that was enjoyable and what was something that was difficult? But recognizing, because they're in the, the, the work of spiritual and mental health, like that difficult emotions aren't bad. They're just, mm-hmm. and so same thing with, you know, when we suffer, because I, th- I think it's really easy for us, maybe particularly in the Western world, to think about suffering is just bad. But it can't be, right? If it's so core to our faith it can't be bad it has to be yeah. something more that's difficult yeah and when we think of it as something that's bad then we don't want to experience it so when someone yeah. close to us dies we just want to keep moving and going on to the next yeah. thing and we're kind of afraid of taking that moment to experience what's happening and to be messy in that too I think that's so important when you were talking about you have to sit with your son in that moment and be brave and be you know happy for him and keep him joyful because he's what three years old but then you also have to be able to let yourself experience just the absolute terror of that moment and know that that's okay too right you don't have to be brave dad through the whole thing but sometimes we put so much pressure on ourselves to be brave dad or brave mentor brave yeah, you know right. whatever it is so. right yeah and that's gosh it was 10 years ago um kind of a mentor friend of mine uh connie connie foray uh she taught with me at um, benilde st margaret high school and just west of minneapolis and she she was saying she really thought that the next kind of big wave and i think she was hopeful the next big wave that was going to come through education and through the church was going to be this concept of liminal space mm. where we can hold two maybe seemingly contrary ideas together at the same time. Like if you think about during COVID, we did everything but that, right? We very much divided and um, we couldn't, it seemed like for some reason we couldn't say both, um, boy, it sure seems like all this distance is hard on us. And it's probably a good idea to put a mask on to keep each other healthy. Like those two things somehow both seem like they couldn't agree for some reason. And now just a few years out, we can go, yeah, it probably was hard on us to be so separate and masks probably were keeping us healthier, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I felt that too. Cause I have, I have three deaf sons and masks were horrible for my older son. Oh, right. Good. But I held 
in that balance of this is not good for you, but it's also good for you and other people. And it was just, it was a very weird, yeah, dichotomy to be like holding these two things in balance where we care for other people. We care for our own health and the health of other people. But then we also have this added difficulty of if I can't see your lips, I, I can't know what you're saying. And so this, this space, this added space that was between between people that we're, you know, we're still working through now. But again, you're right. We have to be able to say that there's a both and. I love the both and of the Catholic Church because I feel like I'm always saying that whenever I see anything come by in social media. Well, it's not that or that. It's both and. It's like you can you can feel bad and you can feel joyful at the same time. You can be hurting for these people and also be, you know, excited about, the, you know, you can hold stuff at, in balance together. It doesn't have to be an either or. So this weekend we had my son's, my twin's first communion yesterday actually which is wonderful and so cute to see them in the suits that they'll wear once and probably grow out of you know tomorrow and came home we celebrated them and then after the crowd had left from our house my husband was scrolling through the news and he's like oh there was a shooting in Allen at a outlet mall and his parents live couple miles from it and it was just this idea of I posted a quote today from Mary Oliver that you you can hold grief and joy in the same body at the same moment and it's really hard to wrestle with that because because that happens to us constantly right we have things happen in life we can never it's never just one thing as a human being it's a lot of things coming in at the same time so the more that we're honest about the fact that we're, hey, we're happy and we're sad at the same time, we're, we're joyful and we're upset or frustrated, the more honest conversations we can have, right? And that, that's so hard, I think. I, I, I like, I, I'm pretty German in my thinking. I like, I like little categories and lines, and, uh, <laughs> which I know isn't always best. Well, this idea that the things that are uniquely human or those things that um, humanize us, divinize us. And like I, uh, a buddy of mine who's a, a professor in social sciences of all things. He's a, a public policy professor down at Arizona State. I, I remember him always talking about how generally, you know, within when you have two choices, the one that's more difficult, it's probably the more ethical one. Mm. And it, it's so true so often. So I like this idea of holding two things together because that can be so hard, but that's mm. a uniquely human capacity, right? So that mm-hmm. maybe is the, maybe that's a, it's a really good thing for us to be doing more often than not, as hard as that is sometimes mm-hmm. to be doing both. And I think... I think that's part of my understanding of God too, is like that, that both and like, I've always been told that the Catholic church is the church of, and of, you know, both or both and mm-hmm. growing up Catholic and whether it was like really traditional circles I was hearing that from or progressive folks from the social justice movement, we seem to always agree that yes, this is the church of and. So for me, that's always kind of, and that's hard because I always feel like what I'm hopefully trying to challenge my students to do and my staff is like know how loved they are, and how good they are and how good they are made at the same time that they were made from war, you know, and it's almost <laughs> yeah. like, the same thing. like yeah. my, my dad was always just like infinite patience, infinite compassion, infinite humility. Right. So to grow up with that as you know, half of your parenting body is like really, really great. And my mom was always really challenging me like mm-hmm. um, to try things and to think harder and to, you know, she always saw how much potential I had. And I was always kind of pushing. So, and I think that's how, where I get maybe my understanding of, of God and how that plays out with, as like a school administrator with my staff, I, I, I hope actually, I, I think, you know, if my staff, you know, are telling me that 
they're really struggling with something uh, with their family or whatever it might be that they find that I'm compassionate and, and listen well and that sort of thing. And, and hopefully they have that experience of God in some small way because of a human having that with them. And then my staff who uh, might not be giving kids what the kids deserve, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, right, right. Be demanding. Um, I, mm-hmm. I hope actually, I think that's probably a, a, a balanced and appropriate approach, but that's how I always find myself. It's kind of constantly in my head saying, all right, like um, I'm okay, even though X and I am called to X. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm called to Y, I guess I should say. That's funny too, because yeah, before we were chatting here, you had, you had asked me a couple of kind of primer questions a couple weeks ago. And one is was such a good one. It was something about what would you, how did you say it? What would you have people walk away with? Or um, what do you hope people learn from working with you or something to that effect? Mm. And so I remember uh, my first ever, I think that was my first ever interview. It was, it was for a teacher job. It was that at Benilde St. Margaret, the job I got. And they asked me, if your kids, I love this question, if your students spend, you know, all the classes are one semester long there, if they spend one semester with you and they could only learn one thing after those 18 weeks, what have you, what would the one thing be? And I remember thinking, I want them to know that all life is sacred and worth defending. Very much, I mean, I was steeped in the social justice movement of the church at that point, and that was very much where that was coming from. And then from from there, though, I think it has shifted not for better or for worse, but just because maybe the nature of what I do, it's very much, I think, I want them to know that, like, yeah, God made them good, and God is calling them to something all the time. Like, mm-hmm. in this moment, and in this day, and in your life, like, there's always that call. And I think that's where the challenge comes. But ultimately, it comes back to joy, you know, if, and, 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 and more than happiness. But, like, God's going to content you mm-hmm. if you're following might not be easy, but God will content you and you'll, you'll feel a sense of groundedness, which is why, like, I don't know how many school administrators you plan to have on your show, but I mean, for me, people always ask, like, is your job fun? And I always think, like, <laughs> no, <laughs> but I don't work in a water park, you know, <laughs> that would be fun, but that's not where I'm supposed to be, you mm-hmm. know? And so for me, really, it's just like, I've, I've little by little, I kind of felt called here. Mm-hmm. And I remember when people were making fun of, I forget what President Bush it was, um, but they're making fun of him for saying God called him there. And I was like, mm-hmm. I hope that, you know, leaders feel like there's a bigger than life call to be where you are, whether you're someone who's a dentist or a plumber or a teacher or an administrator or a podcaster. Like, I hope that there's something bigger than just, I want to do it, calls you there. So for mm-hmm. me, that's, that's how I got to admin. It's Yeah, I think it is important because when we look at all the different roles that we we have to really understand that there's something about that role that matches our deepest desires. That's why we're there. That's why we consider it both a vocation as well as a job. But even if it matches your deepest desires, just like life, everything is not going to be you know, sunshine and roses all the time. There's going to be difficulty. There's going to be difficult conversations that you have to have. There's going to be difficult moments, especially when you're, you're an administrator, you're in charge of all the teachers, all the staff, but then you're in charge of them so that they can be in charge of the students. And so there's many layers to maybe the responsibility that you, you feel. Do you, do you think that's correct? Yeah, and that's who I was just chatting with another uh, administrator at a meeting on Wednesday of this week, and we were talking about how our our first line, our first responsibility, if we approach what we do as as servant leaders, which I think is kind of become a given, which is great. Our first line, our first responsibility is to the staff, right? They're you know the teachers, the they're entrusted to me, but my my bottom line is a bunch of kids. 
Mm-hmm. So that sometimes those things can be tricky. That can be a tricky mm-hmm. thing to balance. But I think that's I think that's how we do it. And then you mentioned the messiness. It gets messy sometimes. I'm trying to be compassionate to a teacher, but I feel like that teacher isn't being patient with kids. It's like, okay, now I need to hold you to a higher standard. <laughs> Even though I want to be compassionate to you, those kids deserve more from you than what they're getting, you know? Mm-hmm. So those can be really tricky conversations for sure. Yeah, that the work is great. I mean, and, and it is fun sometimes. I don't mean to disparage the work. I mean, mm-hmm. about four hours ago, I was in a dunk tank. <laughs> Uh, as we're recording this, yeah, it was four or five hours ago. I was in a dunk tank. You look very dry. So did you get dunked? Or? <laughs> no, in fact, last year it was like an ice bath. It was so cold. And so mm. this year our um, engineer was so great. He showed him how to get the hot water in there. So it was actually really warm, even though it was like 80 in Cedar Rapids today. But the water was nice and warm. So it was great. <laughs> now, 80 sounds so cool. It's like 90 something here. Are you um, serious? Yeah, it's, oh it's been a hot, humid day. So, um, well, but that's Texas. It goes back and forth. You're, huh? you're down in Texas. You're not in. Yeah. Okay. No, I'm in Texas. So, yeah, hot and humid right now. We are. We have days in the 90s, then we'll have a day in the 50s, and then it'll be 90s again. And once it hits mid June, it's just 110 till oh. September. I, so, when I was in the Rimmick Leadership Program, I remember there was a, a friend of mine who was a principal in Austin, and he was saying how the summer before he had right before he'd come up for classes, his sunglasses had melted on his dashboard. And what was funny about that was, I mean, that was funny in and of itself. But then when I, we went down to St. Augustine, Florida for a retreat that winter. And just a couple of days before we flew down to Florida, my uh, living in Minneapolis, the handle of my Toyota Camry snapped off of the car. All I did was go to open it and it snapped right off. Oh, so it's so cold. Yeah. But oh, this is an interesting country we live in. It is. It is. Two very different things going on at the same time. Uh, okay. Which reminds me, we were talking about the balance of different things. I, I was thinking the other day, and I think this this works for you as an administrator, or someone as a teacher, or um, even as a student. When we feel individually that we're not enough it affects how we view other people too. So if we don't know that we're loved as we are, or we don't feel like we're enough, even if we don't realize that's what we feel, when we look at other people, we start thinking they're not enough and and cataloging why they're not good at what they're doing or they're not showing up enough. And so I think the more that we reflect and and think about who we are and our own goodness as well as our own failings because we we've got both going on but the more that we are able to identify and know that the more compassion and understanding we have for the other people we encounter i've I've heard a phrase for that that i really i think i read it called um shooting on yourself and shooting on other people (laughs) isn't that great i like this phrase yes Because sometimes you feel like, you know, someone who's supposed to be kind and gentle with you just took a big old shit on you. <laughs> um, when I heard that, I was like, I know exactly what that means. Mm-hmm. And yeah, because, gosh, I'm 45 and I've been married 20 years now. And it's still only about a year in probably where I've realized how many times I come home and my wife will say something totally innocuous to me. You know, like, what do you want for dinner? And what I hear is, you know... <laughs> um you should have made dinner by now or something you know like totally unintended because of the the things that are playing in my head mm-hmm. because i i am of the um variety that tends to do that mm-hmm. so it's it's hard work to unpack that piece and to and yeah, not let that happen another another uh group that you would um probably really quite enjoy i know colleen santoni has heard of as well is top 20 training they work with schools mm-hmm. and they uh use this uh, this phrase that we embrace at, at LaSalle Catholic, where I work, we say human being precedes human doing. 
Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's always been about do something good. And then you, you know, you have your value um, mm-hmm. because you're good. you served mass or you want a spelling bee or whatever. And then, you, you know, then, you know, your room is clean. So you have value. It sounds so rudimentary and basic. Like, no, of course we know that's not true, but it's hard to, if that's ingrained in you to not have it be. And so yeah. at school, we subscribe to this idea that human being precedes human doing, meaning you have value before you did anything. Mm-hmm. And if you do something bad, your value didn't change there either. So we, we do some little things to try to help with that with kids. So one thing is uh, we give them what we call four at the door. Again, a lot of the stuff you can, the guys at Top 20 Training can chat at length about this. But before a kid comes into our school any morning, I'll be outside uh, every morning I can. And a lot of other mornings, another teacher or staff person will be. And there's always a couple of people at the elementary school uh, that we have that are outside. And when kids come up, they get four things at the door. We call it four at the door. They get eye contact from an adult. Mm. They get name contact. So someone will look them in the eye, say their name. Um, they get hand contact. So it's usually knucks or a little bonk in the head or a pat mm-hmm. on the back or some kind of you know, uh, very safe physical touch and heart contact. So some mm-hmm. kind of connection about, would you get a haircut or, you know, is your cat feeling better? So they're seen and heard and, you know, that kind of thing. And then before they get to their first class, same thing. So they go into the building and then they're kind of waiting for the bell to ring. And then once the bell rings, they go to their class and the teacher do the same thing. The heart contact, we try to do by noon, um, just because <laughs> 20 kids coming into your room at one time, you can't, right. Right. All, but you can look them on the eye, say their name and, and have some kind of safe touch with them. And so we try to instill in that, you know, sense of belonging and, um, and goodness, regardless of what they've done. Do you try to translate that same kind of thing to how you work with your faculty and staff? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, in, in little ways, I try to use names as much as possible. And if nicknames feel good to people, then nicknames, just to have that kind of sense of connection and to ask how people are doing and then to listen for the answer and spend a little bit of time with the answer sometimes if, if possible. And to use names, that's a huge one. Like the idea that a name is sacred, it's written on God's hand. You know, that's been with that person for their whole life. So instead of just saying, hey, how you doing? To say, hey, how you doing, Jason? And, mm-hmm. and say their name. And we do that with kids too, but to use names. And I, I don't know why, as I'm typing an email, I always just type super, super, I, I go a million miles an hour during the day. And so yeah. I type, 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 I'm up to the email. And then I always have to go back and I put the person's name in. Yeah. So it's a really small thing, but yeah. just to acknowledge they're kind of, you're not just the person who's going to get me the TPS reports, you're Todd who's going to get me the TPS reports, right. you know, and just, just acknowledge like before you're the person who can do that thing for me and just be a, a means to an end, you know, you're mm-hmm. good because you can, you know, get me these baptism cards or whatever I need. No, you're good just because you're, you're Julie. That's it. You know, so to use names is pretty huge for us. Yeah. Yeah, I imagine with so much work as as an administrator, you it's hard to get in contact with everyone on every you know given day, and to really make that intentional time. Is there a way that you try to make intentional time not not just for students, which of course is is the crux of what you do, but also for the faculty, staff, the adults that you work with? Yeah, you know, it was interesting. I think it's a good thing. The first couple of years that I was a principal and chief administrator at LaSalle and in Cedar Rapids, the feedback I was getting in the annual survey from staff was they wanted me more visible and more around, mm-hmm. which I suppose if you, I mean, I guess my preference would be it was just perfect and they love just how it is, um, but they didn't want me around less. <laughs> that's a good that's, thing. That is, yes, that's a good sign, right? And so um, I try to each day take one lap around the uh, middle school building because I'm also the principal for the middle school just to... Mm-hmm. Not to necessarily coach a teacher or anything else, but just to walk around, smile, give a couple of high fives, and just be seen. So they know I'm part of the team and I'm not just kind of off in the distance, not involved. And then in elementary school, they have their own principal, but once a week I have scheduled them to take a lap. It's always a different time of the week just to be around. It's really always funny too because 
some teachers don't acknowledge that I'm there and that's fine. Like you go on, keep on teaching, you know, Judy Bloom or whatever you're doing, you know, you just keep on going. Some teachers always, without exception, stop everything they're doing and have a student present what they're doing to me. <laughs> and hey, if that works for you, if you want to give your kids that chance to, you know, do yeah. something like that, that's great. But yeah, so I think just that presence being around, um, being mm-hmm. visible, that's what I've heard the most from that that they want for me. And so, although it's funny, you know, right after COVID or kind of in the thick of COVID, our first year back at school, when we were all in the same rooms, masks all the time, distance, you know, they ate with like the screens up and yeah. all mm-hmm. chunky stuff. I emailed the teachers, it was probably mid-October, and I asked, you know, how are things going? What, what, would, what, would, be, what would make things work better for you? What am I missing? What's, you know, what would be helpful to you? And our, our athletic director of all people, <laughs> that question just replied with, the answer is always donuts. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, okay, thanks. We'll get more donuts. <laughs> The way to anyone's heart is through their stomach, right? (laughs) Especially when it's a sweet treat. So I had a professor in graduate school, not the Notre Dame program, but I did a master's in theological studies from the University of Dallas. And one of my professors, Dr. Patty Hughes, taught me about the liturgy, right? And taught me about how to make an effective liturgy and, and what it was like to do liturgies in a parish. And she would all say in that class period that one of the most effective ministries that we often miss out on is the ministry of the parking lot. So she called it ministry of the parking lot. And it's like, yes, there are people handing out uh, bulletins and handing out worship aids in the lobby area of the church, but who's in the parking lot as people are parking and like greeting them and saying, Hey, how are you doing? Like, nice to have you here. Knowing people's names, shaking hands, helping people out of cart, whatever it is to just like meet people one step further, one step closer so that people feel seen. Cause you know, with big parishes and big, and especially with COVID, like we had many years where we didn't see each sure. other in church, you don't always feel seen, right, when you're yeah. walking in the door. And so so just one step closer to, again, learning people's names, which is so hard to do, when it, especially in parish life, when you may see people once a week, if then, but just, you know, so I like your idea. I like that y'all meet kids at the door. You, you try to get as close to uh, greeting and saying hello and, and making sure that they feel seen. It's amazing how much parents like it, actually. Yeah. So, in, in fact, I used to do it at the door, um, but we have about a 30 to 40 foot walkway from our student entrance to where the cars are pulling up and dropping the kids oh, wow. off. So I don't hold the door for them anymore. They do that for each other or whatever. I go down to where the parents are. So I'm also saying hi to all the parents. The parents love it more than the kids. You know, the kids are kind of whatever. I'm, they're the reason that I'm there. But the parents yeah. love being waved to and saying hello. I mean, they're... <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, and again, I, th- I feel like you've just uh, unintentionally touched on liminal space again, right? It's like it's mm-hmm. that space between the school walls and the family life. Um, and the more we can bridge that, you know, the better. Yeah, you've just given me some fodder there. Well, also, especially like, you know, we saw it in COVID, but we see it with more kind of restrictions on who can come in the building and how they can come in the building and when that, that it, there is a bigger, a distance between parents and other people that are a part of the community because they just are not always walking in and out of the doors anymore or always in the classroom uh, without a lot of you know red tape and things I don't know if you see that up where you are but uh, to be able to go to them you know and 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 
greet them and say, yeah, no, I want to tell you as much of what's going on here. And I want to welcome you in and and remind ourselves that this is one big community together. Yeah. Well, actually, it's funny. That's part of the reason that you and I are having this conversation because Colleen Santoni found out we have a school podcast. And Mm -hmm. initially, the reason I did that was just to get people to consume the contents of the weekly newsletter <laughs> that is a good way to do it they can listen in their cars they're driving I know. Awesome. Or while they're out for a walk or lifting yeah. weights or driving <laughs> or doing the dishes whatever and i always say that but so that's uh kind of the first reason we did it. the second was um well it was to be more of a family so that we're mm-hmm. connecting more and so i always after I read the newsletter, I do about a 10-minute conversation with, a few weeks ago, Colleen came on. Mm-hmm. So if there's someone who's doing professional development with our staff, I'll have them come on. Or a teacher or a parent and a kid will come on, things like that, and just talk about things going on, you know, in the school and, and, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's just to help people connect more. Boy, you give me a lot to think about here, about that connection space between where we are and, and where other people are. In, in my world, that would be, you know. Uh, in this in the school hallways and mm-hmm. classrooms and then people's homes but i'm sure your listeners can think about with whatever it is you know that they do day to day you know how they can connect across spaces because i think that's huge connections i mean yeah well and i think it also comes back to what we were talking about earlier how much we are in our heads thinking about all the things we should have done or all yeah. the things we should be doing that we we miss that that eye contact that you try to make intentionally with your students. We miss yeah. it with our own friends and family and people in the grocery store and things like that. We miss that eye contact. We miss that saying someone's name, making sure to acknowledge them. Uh, and I think that comes a lot back to the theme of the podcast of like, if we don't feel that we're loved as we are and we don't feel comfortable in our own bodies in our own way of of being and showing up in the world then we will be thinking in our heads how can we do this better how can we perform better how can we show up better so that people will see us yeah and then we miss all the other things that are going on around us at that time yeah for sure and that is such a hard thing because the reality is i mean we um, as much as you know in whatever field someone is you know all day long and whether that's computing or gardening or whatever, like there's execution, but there's so much into that. People place so much value on how you interact with the person, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about the, the value of a first impression or all those things. So, and I, I feel that as a school administrator, it's, it's been an interesting challenge because it, it matters a lot what people think about the school administrator mm-hmm. and about whether or not they're going to send their kid to that school, right? And so it, it matters a lot for me professionally to make a really, really good first impression and get people to respect, you know, value me, whatever. But then as a human being, I have that responsibility to not let that, if, if I'm effective at that, <laughs> to let it go yeah. to my head because um, my ego, you know, should not be fed that way. That's super unhealthy. Yeah. So it, it is a difficult dance to do. I also think, you know, we've been in education for a long time. You've been in education for a long time. When I entered a classroom at 21, 22, I was very much in my head like, okay, what am I, what am I wearing? Did I say something right? right. Like when I laughed at their joke, was I dorky or was that the joke I was supposed to laugh at? Did they think that, you know, I was thinking about those things all the time and entering in a classroom now, 20 years later, None of that's in my head. I'm just showing up as I am and saying, okay, let's be here and have a conversation. And that comes with with age and with experience. But I think that the more, even in all of our roles, the thing that often is most effective and we forget about it is just being ourselves, right? Like whatever ourselves is, showing up authentically and, of course, professionally, but authentically and 
not trying to be someone we're not. Uh, and then it yeah. gives other people permission to do the same thing. So, Right. And, and I think like part of what you didn't say, but what I was hearing you say was it's so much less about you then, right? Mm-hmm. It's just about if you're being authentic because God made you good, well, then you can just be a servant leader and not worry about how that's received necessarily. When I think about um, when I when I first uh, became a, a teacher, it was it, part of it was calling, right? I was very much discerning that through a lot of weird side roads, ended up becoming a teacher. But I wanted to do that to build the kingdom via the kids in front of me, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I wanted these people, not as a good in and of themselves, I don't know how to do this thing, but that was kind of about me, right? Um, wanting to do this good. It had nothing to do with the person in front of me. It's like when you're saying when you engage that person in front of you as having value, not being a means to something else. And that's what helped me figure out something about being an educator was it shouldn't be using these kids to get to make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a good secondary goal, right? But the first goal has to be that person in front of me as a teacher and then as an administrator too, right? It has to be that person in front of me, not the good we can do because because that person's a good in and of herself or of himself. Yeah. Um, and that just kind of, it seems like a small tweak and it might yeah. look the same a lot on the day to day, but I think in terms of where it's coming from and where, where it's going, it, it matters a lot. Yeah, I find myself, as I'm talking to students about you are the next generation and we're teaching you about social justice and you're going to go live that out. Like, gosh, I'm putting a lot of pressure on you guys. Like, go save the world, please. Like, please, you are going to fix everything. Just just fix everything. So it's always important to say, no, no, you know, like, you're supposed to be a selfish kid right now. Um, and I hope that you're learning stuff as we go, but you're still figuring out who you are. So you've got, you know, that balance and everything else will come in time, right? But you got to figure out who you are first. Yeah, isn't it tempting working with kids to want them to be perfect right now? Well, I want to. I want to be perfect right now. So yeah, I, like, of like, course, hold everyone else to that standard too. Stop shooting on people. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about that with regards to first communion yesterday. I was so stressed out about my kids being dressed appropriately, being somewhere on time, my house being clean enough for people to come over to celebrate their first communion, and by all that pressure on myself, then I was looking at the kids, going, "Okay, are you?" are you acting correctly? Like, do you have, is, why is your shirt untucked? Like, you know, you start throwing that on them right. and really, you know, Hey, eight year olds, you should, you showed up and you received the body of Christ. That's all that matters from yesterday. Like that was win. great. <laughs> yeah, that was great. One of the things that I had put out to you because you teach or you, you've taught kids of all ages, right? Or just high school when you taught them? When I initially got my teaching license and what got me into education was little kids mm-hmm. uh, initially. So like elementary age. So I student taught second grade in St. Paul, Minnesota. I got my K-6 to teaching license uh, for the state of Minnesota. But because of the way Minnesota works, you don't need a teaching license to teach in a Catholic school. There's a lot of separation there. So I taught high school uh, religion, theology. So any number of high school classes, spirituality, sacraments, Paschal mystery, service, kind of, yeah, a lot of different classes for uh, high school students. I taught, you know, 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade, and then did that for about 12 years. And then became a school administrator. Um, And that has all been elementary and middle school. The reason I ask is because when we talk about this idea of God loving us as we are, it really fits well with uh, this idea in Ignatian spirituality that we can consider God as our friend and we can have a friendship with God. But what I, what I recognize is that's a hard idea for 
kids of all ages. It's even a hard idea for adults sometimes, depending on how you grew up seeing God. Uh, So do you, is that something that resonates with your experience of God, this idea of having a friendship with God Uh, or, you know, how is it something else and how do you communicate that to others? I think friendship, yes, but more so, I think more like a divine parent than a a friend. Mm -hmm. I think Um, I've just always seen God more as a parent to me. Always mystery though. Uh, And that's part of what is awesome and part of what I think is really hard about that relationship because I just feel like that in the last, for me, last 10 years, that desire and also the challenge of having a personal relationship with God, um, not God as an abstraction, but God as something that's very personal, has been challenging and also great to to dial into and to focus on. Maybe uh, this helps. I don't know. The the place, two places that I like to kind of in my head, if um, if it's not just a quick prayer, right? But if I'm setting aside the time and I'm, I'm kind of dialing in. Um, and I really encourage my staff to try this. We do it together all the time. There's two places I like to physically place myself. And I got this idea from the same, same priest um, in Rome. His name's Paul Murray. He's a Dominican, which I'm, by the way, much more Dominican than I am Ignatian. That's great. I See, I bring the Ignatian spirituality. I'm going to have a lot of people on that are of all different yeah. walks of spirituality. So. Awesome church with lots of different flavors. Mm-hmm. So he, he said um, to consider praying. This is He was my spiritual director for a while. And he said he, he thought a good place for me to put myself, like kind of physiologically imagine myself being, is in the empty tomb. Mm-hmm. Isn't that awesome? Just like, oh my gosh, there's so many things that could be, you know, is Jesus yeah. there? Did he leave already? Did he get here yet? I mean, and so I just think about... He's behind you. Sorry. <laughs> a quiet place to be, then I can imagine myself there. So that gets me through Lent and Easter. That's a great... Mm-hmm. And then you can imagine what I do at Advent is I imagine myself at the Nativity. Either waiting, waiting for Joseph and Mary to arrive, mm-hmm. or after they, you know, received the shocking news and they got to run, or whatever. But just like, those are a couple for me places to put myself and then I just feel like I can kind of submerge myself in awe of God relationship thing is it's a bit of a sticky wicket for me I guess Um, because I know it's so valuable and when I have it it's so tangible is not the word meaningful Mm -hmm. um, real but it's 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 challenging at the same time Mm -hmm. because I see God so much as a mystery so much as a mystery like the saints almost seem for me easier to I don't know why but to Mm -hmm pray through and, and connect with um, God just seems so big, you know? Yeah. Um, I like how you mentioned before when you were talking about your, your conversation with God, when your son was sick, that yeah. in that moment, God was really close. And there is, um, I think there's many articles out there that talk about these thin moments when God comes close and they don't happen all the time. And so you want to capture them and you want to say, okay, like I felt God in that moment. I want to remember that. I, in all yeah. these times when it's more difficult. I think Mother yeah. Teresa wrote about this when she, you know, she had really, really close uh, encounters with God. And then like most of her life ser- in service, she felt God was really distant. So yeah, we want to try to capture those moments and say, okay, yes, that, that was where I felt maybe God was my divine mentor. Or maybe God was my friend in that moment. And I'm going to try to hold on to that because I always think God has like, billions of people to like work with right now and even though god is mystery and can be there for all of us like when he doesn't when god doesn't feel as close it's like okay 
he's off with somebody else and those billions of people. But I had those moments and it was, you know, and, and at the same time, I recognize that God's right next to me too, but. I've never thought about that actually, but it's, that really resonates with me. Like there are a handful of moments that are inexplicable, you know, very, very powerful to me. And I'll, I'll probably remember forever. And those, I mean, those are enough. Um, and there, there are times where when push comes to shove, you know why I still have faith, even in this really difficult or, you know, doubtful time, it's because of, you know, these few moments that were just so real, you know, I think about, um, there was a time in sixth grade when I was, I was getting, uh, I mean, I was, I was no angel, but I was getting picked on really, really hardcore. And I came home one time and I was crying and my mom hugged me and I mean, I was 12. My mom had hugged me, you know, thousands and thousands of times, but that was like, she and I weren't the only people hugging. There was an angel in our kitchen at that moment, you know, and I'm 45. So that was, you know, 32 years ago. I'll never forget that. You know, mm-hmm. I was just like, whoa. I mean, it was just like, I wasn't looking for that. Right. But that I'll remember that forever and ever. And yeah, same with, uh, same with that moment with, you know, yelling at God in the, um, in the <laughs> um, pediatric intensive care unit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll never forget that. And just like how God was there. Yeah. So that's a really interesting thing to think about, just like how sometimes God gives us, I haven't heard it called thin moments before, but mm-hmm. yeah, that makes really sense. It's just a, a flash, but so potent. Yeah. That it can sustain and, you. And I think, you know, they often happen when, they happen in a lot of ways, but for me, they often happen when I am most real with God, when I'm like, okay, I, I don't get what you're doing here. This isn't making any sense to me. I should be upfront and honest of how I'm feeling. And then, you know, that answer, whether it was in that moment or several weeks later, seems to come when I'm finally ready to say, okay, I'm not going to just sit and pray rote prayers or tell you what you want to hear. I want to tell you how I'm feeling right now and, uh, and then be open to have God answer back, which is not always what I want, but is definitely an answer um, that comes when I'm most honest and upfront. But. Yeah, which I think is not all the time, but sometimes it accompanies us getting out of our own heads, not mm-hmm. shitting on anything and just letting life kind of, not letting life happen, but not trying to force what we think is supposed to happen, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, not forcing what we're supposed to be. And because of that, then we're not forcing what other people should be. Either, or, yeah, or we're right? not as supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So one one other question to throw out there, especially not just as a minister, maybe even as a parent, um, is there anything particularly challenging about helping others see their belovedness in today's world? I think I think there's a lot of things. I mean, part of it is just how often do people slow down enough to even consider that question? Am I mm-hmm. beloved? But I think there's a lot of things that, that get in the way of that. I mean, I think technology can do that. Technology is not the enemy. Here we are in a podcast talking from, um, you know, Iowa to Texas. Um, so technology is not the enemy, but it can, it can be pretty um, dangerous and slippery. I think overly competitive activities for families, you know, um, and we want our kids to shine and <laughs> kind of like we've been talking about, look the way we think a thing is supposed to look. So gosh darn it, go win a trophy, you know, and, and then we'll be happy kind of thing. But I think that can get in the way of it. Um, obviously our jobs. And so we're just, moving so fast sometimes that we can even slow down to to think about um you know belovedness so i think people can be pretty distant from each other even in shared spaces so and i think i guess i've kind of alluded this a couple times we can i think sometimes tend to see other people or even ourselves as a means to an end Mm -hmm. rather than just good 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that can be a problem in a very kind of productive culture that a lot of us kind of swim in. So I think a lot of those things can kind of get in the way. But then coming back to that human being precedes human doing, mm-hmm. and we know that to be true. So I think spending time with that can be a helpful thing. Just like, yeah, you're good just because you are, not because you achieved something. Um, and you're not bad because you screwed something up. Yeah. I, well, I think that that second part, um, not only to be able to remind ourselves of that, but to help others see that as well. And I think that's so important when you're, especially as a parent, but, but even as an educator, whatever job you do to be able to say, man, I screwed up and I'm sorry. Uh, as much as to be able to accept that from somebody else and, and remind them it's not the end of the world. I think, as you alluded to with technology, we our screw-ups are, are kind of broadcast, especially, you know, kids' scripts are broadcast, you know, everywhere so fast. And so it's hard to have compassion for ourselves and others and say, we're human beings and we're imperfect and we make mistakes and we need to have the freedom to come back from that. Because yep. we're going to make a lot more mistakes than, you know, do anything right, I think, in uh, our lives. Yeah, yep. Yeah. I love seeing all your, your children pop up in the back. <laughs> I think I've seen a few heads. <laughs> all three who are home have been walking by and getting, like, just to the edge of the camera. <laughs> I'm like, nope, this is not like one of those. <laughs> but that <laughs> is real. Like, mess of hair you saw well uh i have taken a full hour of your time so i appreciate you very much coming on um and giving give me a chance to interview you when i've only interviewed one other person so this is this number two and we're doing well but i did know this was going to be a good conversation after the schitt's creek meme i was like okay yeah we got this we can i don't we you know to be honest i don't even like that show my wife watched it every more than once and I watched it, and I was like, ugh, they're never getting out of this town, are they? <laughs> so, well, it is ironic that you use a meme from a show you don't even like, and you take a chance so many, whether or not somebody else will like it. <laughs> there are so many good memes from that show, though. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. respect the intelligence of the humor. No, what I wish were out there, and I can't find anywhere, um, unless you like are on your computer, because the iPhone doesn't have is Ted Lasso gifts. That, mm. that would be, that show is, oh, man. I haven't seen it. Ted Lasso is... That's why I hear. I mean, you're like the 40th person who's told I'm, me to watch I'm this. Sure. So that might be yeah. the one that I actually watch it then. From. <laughs> awesome. Kirsten, this was super fun. Yeah, it was. It was great. Thank you so much for doing it. And if for some reason nothing recorded, we'll have to do it again. But I see it. Yeah, I see that. I see it recording. So I'm, I'm thinking that it is. Yeah, that was taking our pulse, one of the two. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Zach as much as I did. I loved hearing his perspective as an administrator with the many layers of responsibility a job like his has. I particularly loved how he tries to let everyone, from the parents, to the faculty and staff, to the students, know that they are seen. I can imagine that this is a daunting task, with both success and failure along the way. But I love that he keeps this at the forefront of his work. I also appreciated his vulnerability in sharing his story about his son and his honest conversation with God, showing yet another way that God suffers with us and demonstrating in a very real way that God's love continues even through our most challenging of moments. I have one more guest recorded and queued up to edit this week, 
and even more guests lined up to interview in the coming days. I cannot wait to introduce each of them to you. I think you'll notice that I'm trying to get a variety of perspectives and experiences on this podcast, including both Catholic and non-Catholic, Ignatian and other forms of spiritual practice as well. If you think you or someone you know has a story to share on this podcast, please email me at lovedasyouarepod at gmail.com. And if you like this podcast, subscribe and leave a review. I'd love to have your feedback and be able to continue to move this podcast in a direction that is valuable for you. You can also follow everything related to this podcast at lovedasyouarepod on Instagram and at gretchencrowder.com slash lovedasyouarepodcast. Links to both are in the show notes. Thank you for joining me today. And until next time, remember to be who you are, because that's exactly who God wants you to be. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.